Your Bibles, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. And we're blessed once again today to open to Matthew's Gospel and to look once again into what I think is just really a, a wonderful journey in the life of Christ. Uh, there's been more written about Jesus Christ than any other person in the history of the world. He stands out above all others. He is so important that he divides time. And that's something that we often talk about around Christmas time. Uh, the life of Jesus was so important and it was so radical. It made such a difference in other people's lives that the message of the gospel was spread rapidly throughout the world. One of the things that I mentioned in our past uh, Christmas message was how that there was a common language in the world at the time that Jesus uh, was here. Uh, the Greek language is what the Bible is translated out of. And because there was this common language, just about everyone knew the Greek language at the time of Christ. And because of that common language, the gospel of Christ was spread very easily, at least uh, language-wise, it's never easy to spread the gospel of Christ because there is so much opposition to it. But today the Bible has been translated into hundreds of different languages and uh, most of the civilized world now, if not all of it, has heard of Jesus Christ. But the tough questions that we face now are what do these people know about Jesus? What, what have they really learned about him? Do they really know who Jesus is and why did Jesus come into the world? And if you wanted a very succinct answer to that question for the entire purpose of Christ's ministry, you would turn to Matthew chapter 9 and you'd find a very brief synopsis of why Jesus came into the world. Now, we're going to read the entire passage in just a moment, but if you'll look at the last phrase of verse number 13 in this ninth chapter, here is the summation of the ministry of Jesus in only 13 words. Jesus said, "...for I am not come to call the righteous." but sinners to repentance. And there's the answer. Jesus came into the world for sinners. And that is a comprehensive statement. It's a very definitive one. And yet most people don't get it. Most people believe that religion is for good people. And Jesus, of course, was a good person. The apostles that he called to help him, they were good men. Uh, today, of course, some people refer to them as saints, and so they want to put saint in front of their name, Saint John, Saint Peter, Saint Paul, Saint James, and so on. And whenever a person tries to help someone, whenever they do a good deed for someone, it's not uncommon for someone to say, well, you're such a saint because you did that for me. And so we've, we've fostered the idea that religion is actually for good people. And we don't stop to consider that all of these men were sinners. All of the good people are sinners. And I've even talked to some people who say, well, I'm just not good enough to be a Christian. I'm not good enough to go to church. I'm too bad to go to church. Well, today I hope that we can clear up some of the confusion because if any person was actually good enough to be a Christian, then Christ never would have come. From his own lips, he says, I did not come to call good people or righteous people, but I called sinners, came to call sinners to repentance. And this passage is very significant for the placement that it has in the gospel record because it shows us God's grace in reaching the lowest sinners on the earth. Now, we're looking at Matthew chapter 9. If you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's word. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. 
And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. Lord, open up this passage before us. Help us really to get a picture of how bad a person can be and still come to Jesus Christ. Help us to realize that all of us are sinners in need of the grace of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin looking at this passage this morning, it's very important that we understand the connection that it has with what's already gone on before in the beginning of the chapter. In the first part, Jesus was in Capernaum. Probably he was in Peter's house, and there was a large crowd that had gathered there, and they'd come to hear Jesus preach and for healing. And there were so many people, and they were packed in so tightly that it was impossible to squeeze another person in. Now, as he was speaking, there were four men who came, and they brought another man who was on a stretcher, and this man was paralyzed. He he was unable to get to Jesus on his own. And so when they came to the house, they couldn't get in, and these men, being very determined to get their friend to see Jesus, went upon the roof of the house, and they began to tear off the roof of the house, and they made a hole big enough that they could let this man who was paralyzed down with ropes, right into the presence of Jesus. This was a man that was very sick. He was unable to walk. Perhaps he was even in great pain. But the problem was more serious than just the physical illness that he had. He was a sinner. He was a lost man. He, He was a man that had no hope for his soul, and he knew that. Now, although the Scripture here doesn't say anything about this, people had already guessed that he was a sinner. Because the Jews were convinced that you didn't have these kinds of sicknesses like paralysis and and being lame and being blind. You didn't have those kinds of illnesses unless sin was a part of that. Sin must be in the person's life. And Jesus was very much aware of that. He knew what the man was thinking. He knew what the crowd was thinking. And so he calmed that man's fears by addressing his problem, the problem he has in the soul. And in verse number 2, Jesus said to this man, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And when Jesus said that, he set off a firestorm among those people. Because when he said to this man, Your sins are forgiven you, then he was making the claim that he was God. And that didn't sit very well with the people or with the scribes and the Pharisees. But here Matthew is, is, has accomplished another one of his purposes for writing this gospel account. He's been systematically establishing the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And so he saw, we've seen his, his power over man's physical body, over sicknesses. We see the power that he had over nature by calming the sea. We saw the power that he had over demons by casting out devils. And now Matthew proves to us Jesus' power over sin because Jesus is able to forgive. Well, the question would arise then, how much sin can Jesus forgive? What is the extent of his forgiveness? How far could you actually go, and are you too great of a sinner to be forgiven? 
And so here is where Matthew steps in and he gives a personal testimony of Jesus' great power to forgive sin. Now, a moment ago, I said that uh, those men that were chosen to be Christ's disciples were good men. And all of them are referred to as saints now, uh, all except Judas, who was the betrayer. All of them are saints, but I can promise you this, that every one of them was also a sinner. Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Paul spoke about his sinfulness, and he claimed that he was the worst of the worst. He said, I am the chief of sinners. And I'm also reminded of that great prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, who said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And so all of them were sinners, and they all recognized their sinfulness, and each of them gave a self-assessment of that condition. But I'm not sure that any of them, not any of them, would have been considered as sinful in others' eyes as this person, Matthew. I want to talk in the first part of the message this week about Matthew, and we're going to look at some other sinners next week, but we want to look here and see how that Matthew just gives a very brief account of his call to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice again, verse number 9, it says, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now today, we want to talk about Matthew, a man who was sick from sin. Now the first part of the chapter that I just told you about a moment ago was about a paralyzed man. And there are other uh, scriptures that we've been reading in Matthew that talk about various healings. There are lepers, there are blind people, there are crippled people, people with fevers and so forth. But this is not the type of sickness that we're addressing here. Here, Matthew points out the one guy that is in the deepest throes of spiritual sickness, and this man was a man who was sick as sick as you could be from sin. And so Matthew, we would say, raises his hand here, and he says, if you want to know the worst of sinners that can be found, and if you want to know who tops the list of the worst of the worst, then you can look at me. Only Matthew doesn't really say it in those words, because we never have one word that Matthew personally said in Scripture. We never find a, 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 a message, a sermon that, that Matthew preached in Scripture. He was a disciple of Christ, but there was nothing there, and he was an apostle of Christ, but he's, there's nothing here recorded about Matthew preaching sermons. So not one word, he says, is recorded in Scripture. But he gives us a third-person account, and in just a few words, in describing this scene, he shows that he is the worst of the worst. In the eyes of other people, Matthew would be the worst of the worst. So who is this guy, Matthew? Who, who is this fellow that Jesus called to become an apostle? Well, first we would look at his character. Who is he? Well, I might briefly mention that he's also known as Levi. Sometimes when you see the list of disciples' names written in the Scripture, you get confused about it, and you wonder which one is which, because the names don't always seem to be the same. But this was a common thing that was done among the Jews, that people were given two names. And so we find that Peter is also known as Simon. Thomas is also known as Didymus. Bartholomew is also known as Nathaniel. And so those names were, double names were common. And Matthew is also known as Levi. And his, his name actually means gift of Jehovah. And it could be that Jesus named him this after he called him out and saved him. Well, in the ninth verse, it says that Jesus saw this man named Matthew sitting at the receipt 
of custom. And those few words speak volumes about the character of Matthew. And maybe you don't see it, and maybe you don't understand it very well. And we, we kind of read those words easily, and we skim over them. But to a Jew who was reading this, and a Jew who knew Matthew, these words were like throwing gasoline on a raging fire. He sat at the receipt of custom. And that was huge. Because here is a fact that most people would not admit. They wouldn't want to introduce themselves to anyone by saying this. They would not try to win somebody over to their cause with these kinds of words. Because this is like saying, I am low down and I am despicable. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a traitor. I'm the scum of the earth. My mama won't even claim me. That's what this means. He sat at the receipt of custom. And so if you want to know how deep the forgiveness of sin goes, if you want to know how bad a person that can be and actually receive God's forgiveness, look at Matthew. And here is why Matthew uses himself as an example. He doesn't know any better person to use. There's no one that you could use to describe the depths of sin in other people's eyes than this person, Matthew. And by saying about him, he sat at the receipt of custom. Now, why is that so bad? Well, it's bad Because you could look at Matthew from any angle that you want to look at him, and people would say about him, he's an outcast. Don't make friends with that guy. Don't have anything to do with him. Now, others have made observations along these lines, and I want to expand on what people have said about Matthew. And there are three notable ways in which Matthew was an outcast. First of all, he was politically wrong. Now, politics is a big thing in our day. And I know that by favoring one political party over another when I speak, that I'm going to shut some people out from the gospel of Christ. I mean, that's why I think it's wrong for preachers to preach politics from the pulpit. And that's because if I'm always picking on somebody's political party, that's the only thing that they ever hear. They're not going to hear the message of Christ that's being preached because I've said something about the political party that they belong to. Well, think about how it was in the time of Jesus. Israel was occupied by a foreign army. The Roman Empire had extended its reach into Palestine, and the Jews were now living under Roman rule. Capernaum was one of the outposts for the Roman army, and that's why we find that centurion in Acts chapter 8, or rather Matthew chapter 8, the one who who, uh, came to Jesus and asked for his help. So we think about this in in the time of Jesus, Uh, The Romans had imposed a system of taxation on the Jewish people, and they had done that in order to support their occupation there. And in order to make that tax system work, they chose out some people among those that were living there. They had enlisted some Jewish people to collect their taxes. And Matthew was one of those who had agreed to work with the Romans, and so he took a job of collecting Roman taxes. In the Bible, these people are known as publicans. Not Republicans, but publicans. And it's just really another name for tax collector. And it's interesting that when a person got this job of collecting taxes, it was like getting a franchise. So here's this one man, and he's over this territory, and he sets up his shop, and he starts collecting taxes. And that would be bad enough. I mean, if we were talking about Jews that had taxed their own people, and they were collecting taxes from them, that would be bad enough. Because we all know we don't like IRS agents. They're they're collecting taxes for our own government, and we pay them our taxes, but we really don't like IRS agents. But this is worse than that, because imagine for a moment 
if the Iranian government came to the United States and they conquered us, and then they took some of our people, some who should be loyal Americans and serve their country, and they took some of our people and set them up to collect taxes for the Iranian government. Well, how would you feel about a person like that? That's the kind of man that Matthew was. How would you feel about a government that oppressed its people and a foreign power has come and taken over? And how traitorous would the act be to help that government maintain their control? But it gets even worse than this because there was a certain amount that Rome wanted for their taxes. They had a set amount that the tax collector was supposed to get. And the tax collector could collect those taxes, but then what he would do is he would add on top of it. And he would extort money out of the people. And, and uh, the Roman government was okay with that. As long as you got their amount, as long as you got what they were supposed to collect, you could take anything that you could get out of the people above that. And they supported it because they wanted the tax collectors on their side. And so they supported all the abuses of these publicans. So what we have then is a group of people that have been enriched by extorting their own people and helping a foreign power maintain its control. And these tax collectors would take bribes from the rich, and they would rob from the poor, and they had a real racket going, and that made them utterly despicable in the eyes of the people. And Matthew was one of those guys. He sat at the receipt of custom. Another interesting thing about this is that Matthew was probably higher up the ladder than most tax collectors. I I don't want to get into all the different types of taxes that they collected then, but just the fact that Matthew was in Capernaum, that was very significant because Capernaum was on a major trade route. And so Matthew would be sitting there in a place like a toll booth and he had the power that he could stop every traveler that was going by. Every cart that passed by, every donkey, anybody carrying goods, all of them are subject to a tax. And Matthew's the guy that stopped them. He had the power to go up to a person and make him unload everything that was in his cart. He could say, take your donkey and you take all the packages off of it, take all the burdens off and you unloose them and you let me go through them and see what you have in there and I'm going to collect a tax from you. And that's what he did. He collected the Roman taxes, and then he extorted more from the people. Now, if he were a TSA agent, he would have his scanner, and he would x-ray people right down to their skivvies, and then he put a tax on their underwear. I mean, this is the kind of guy that he was. People like this, and the people's eyes were worse than maggots. And so Matthew was on the wrong side of the fence politically. And not only on the wrong side, but he was way over on the wrong side. He was a 100 yards deep into it. And that's as bad as it gets. Number two, we would notice about him that he was religiously wrong. See, Matthew is what we would call a secular Jew. He wasn't on the side of the Pharisees. He was no friend to the scribes. He didn't think anything about their piety. And because he was a Roman collaborator, he wasn't even allowed to go into the synagogues. He had been declared to be unclean just by being around the Romans. So tax collectors were barred from all of the religious activities. So you wouldn't find Matthew celebrating the Passover. And he wouldn't be out there celebrating the other feasts of Israel like Pentecost and the Feast of Booths and all of those things. You're not going to find Matthew involved in all of those things because he cared nothing at all for them. And you can imagine what that did in the eyes of the Pharisees. We know how meticulous they were about the law. And so uh, they looked at Matthew and they couldn't believe this. 
And next week we're going to talk more about them. But the Pharisees could not stand Matthew. And why that Jesus would hook up with somebody like this was beyond belief. And we don't really understand it like they felt about it. We can't really get into that mind, into that religious mindset they have, the political mindset they have. We can't really get into that. We just can't understand how bad that they thought that this was. And they could not believe that Jesus, who was supposed to be a teacher, Jesus who was supposed to claim that he's God, and here is Jesus making friends with tax collectors, and one like Matthew especially. And so they could not believe it. And so they looked at these tax collectors as being sinners beyond sinners. You just couldn't get worse than a tax collector. And it also meant that he was socially wrong. The Jews would never invite these kinds of people into their houses. They didn't mix with them. They didn't converse with them. They didn't walk down the same side of the street with them. They were anathema to the Jews. And one more point that's that's really pertinent here, uh, because as you go into the hierarchy of these tax collectors, some of them had become so well off by extorting money from the people. They had enriched themselves so much that they no longer collected taxes. What they did was they hired somebody else to do it. I mean, they didn't want to sully their hands with the everyday work, with the dirtiness of being involved in this. And so they stood, kind of stood behind the scenes, and they, and they paid somebody else to collect taxes for them. And those kinds of people were really bad when they hired somebody else to do the dirty work because they were looked at as hypocrites, cowards, hiding behind somebody else to do dirty deeds. And that was bad. But you want to know what's worse than that? It's the guy who was rich. He had extorted plenty. He had the ability to pay somebody to do the dirty work. But it was too too cheap to do it. He wouldn't hire anybody else. He didn't care. He wasn't going to hide his misdeeds. His offense made so little difference to him. And his greed was so great. He was so cheap that he sat there and he manned the table himself. He grabbed all that he could get. He took it all for himself. He wasn't going to share it with anybody that he would hire. And so he took money from the poor. He took the bribes from the rich. He took food away from babies. And he was just too cheap to hire it done. And so he sat there at the table collecting the taxes himself. And that's Matthew. He sat at the receipt of custom. He's the guy that manned the table. And he was so deep in sin that the rabbi said, if this guy tried to repent, if he did straighten up, it's too late. He's too far gone. He, he can never go to heaven. And that's why Matthew used himself as an example. How deep is the grace of God? What kind of sinners can Jesus save? Guys like Matthew. Because you couldn't get any lower than he was. He was bad, sick from sin. You couldn't pick anyone lower than him among all the people that you would find in Israel. And that was his character when Jesus spoke to him. And when Jesus said, I came to call sinners to repentance, Matthew could raise his hand and said, then I'm the one that he came to save. Because I am the worst of the worst. If he came to call sinners, I am a sinner. If anybody's a sinner, it's me. Now, next, and we need to hurry on. Uh, I'm running out of time today. Number two, or the second thing we look at here, is his change. The first was his character, now his change. Verse number nine. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, let's get the picture again. Matthew is in the town of Capernaum. Capernaum is... 
is this, this busy place. Uh, Jesus is in the house, and, and he's been preaching there. He's been healing people. There was the paralytic man there. He had his sins forgiven, and he was healed. Matthew wasn't at that, at that, there at that meeting. I mean, he got the information from somebody else, and probably there was a buzz about this particular man. Did you hear about the guy that they tore off the roof of the house in order to get him down in the presence of Jesus? And all the town is talking about that. And they said that man was healed and that man had his sins forgiven. And not only that, there were many other miracles that were done in Capernaum. And Capernaum is not Los Angeles. You know, a, a uh, street preacher could get lost in Los Angeles. I mean, he could do all kinds of things down there and, and people would never hear about him. Los Angeles is a big place. Freeways going in and out of it. Things that go on there that you'll never hear about and probably that you don't want to hear about. But Capernaum is not Los Angeles. Capernaum is Mayberry. Everybody knows what's going on in Capernaum. And all the crowds that are there, all the thousands that are following Jesus, Matthew couldn't help but be aware of it. And I think that probably he schemed a few times how he could make some money off this. What if he could tax healings? Jesus has healed so many people. What if he could tax that? He could really get rich. But at least this, there are so many people coming in and out of Capernaum all the time because they're following Jesus and they're trying to get to him and they're, and they're trying to see the miracles that he did that Matthew's business spiked. And he, his coffers were being filled by all of these people coming in and out to see Jesus. And so I think of Matthew sitting at that toll booth with all the people that are going by and he must have overheard the conversations he's collecting the tax dollars they're following Jesus they're listening to Jesus preach and when Jesus left that house and head, he was headed out the road he came by this man named Matthew and there was Matthew sitting in his little toll booth collecting taxes and Jesus spoke to him and nobody had a casual conversation with people like Matthew no, the Jews are not going to do that. But Jesus spoke to him. And there were two words that Jesus said, follow me. You know, I think of how many words it takes for me to print, uh, to speak a message. And, and I, I, I speak, I'll give you a little statistic here. I speak about 125 words a minute. And so if I go for 40 minutes, I'm going to speak to you about 5,000 words. And I think about preachers, you know, they preach that 40 minutes, and they say they're 5,000 words, and then they got 45 minutes after that begging people to come down the aisle. So they speak a lot of words. But Jesus spoke too. He said, follow me. And Matthew didn't hesitate. The story of Matthew's conversion lasts all of about five seconds. He got up and he followed him. Now I want you to listen to the way that, that Luke says this. And before I read that to you, I want you to think a moment about Matthew, again, who he is. I mean, he's this hard-nosed tax collector. He doesn't have any trouble making demands from people. He knows how to assert himself. He knows how to go out there and demand that people unload those carts and unload those donkeys and collect the taxes from him. He has no problem at all asserting himself. But when he tells this story, he's not that same guy. He tells it a little bit differently. And so Luke gives us the whole story. Luke, te Luke says it this way, and listen to the difference. He says, after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And listen to verse 28. And he left all and rose up and followed him. Now there's the change. He left all and rose up 
and followed him. So here you have this greedy Jew whose only friends are the change that he has in his pocket, and he left all of that and he followed Jesus. And do you realize that this is more monumental than almost all of the conversions that you'll read about in the Bible? The only one that I can think that even rivals it is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And you say, well, why is that so important? Well, Matthew had been enlisted by the Romans. He was their guy. He'd wormed his way into their good graces, and he was collecting their taxes. And Rome was all about the money. They weren't about the people. And so when Matthew gave this up, when he walked away from it, there's no going back to this. Now, Peter, James, and John, they were fishermen. And the Bible also says about them that they left all and they followed Jesus. But when they left all, it didn't mean that all the fish in the sea died. If their commission petered out, pun intended, if their commission, their commitment rather, petered out, then what would they do? Well, they'd just go get another fishing pole. And they go sit by the bank and they start fishing all over again. But not Matthew. He can't go back to what he was doing. Five minutes after he quit his job, the Romans had some other willing trader to step in and to make that good living that Matthew was making. Why did he do it? Well, I think the weight of sin was too much for him to bear. That misery of being a hopeless outcast, of being told by the rabbis that there's no hope for his soul, and that weight that's pressing down upon him that he's going to die and he'll die with no forgiveness from his terrible sins, that finally got to him. And you want to know why I preach about sin? You want to know why that I don't hide this from people, and I'm not afraid to make you feel bad about your sins and feel bad about yourself? Many preachers today are preaching a self-esteem gospel. They want you to feel good about yourself. But you know what happens when you start to build people's self-esteem? They become self-righteous. And when you become self-righteous then you have missed Jesus. Why? Because he didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. And so if you're going to come to Christ and, you, and you're sick from your sickness of sin, you have to understand that you've got that problem. And so if my message today is you're okay and I'm okay, then you're not going to go away from here realizing why you need Jesus. Listen to what he says. He came to call sinners to repentance. And do you notice this, that he skips all the others? If you're not a sinner, he's not interested in you. If you're fine the way that you are, then you'll walk out of here today totally with all of your sins still upon you. You'll leave nothing behind. You're not going to leave all and follow Jesus because you're all right. You're not going to forsake it. And when you leave here, you've still got that burden, and you won't be saved by Jesus because you're already righteous. You don't need him. Well, Matthew was changed. He was too bad for the Jews. He was too bad for the Pharisees. He was too bad for the scribes. He was too bad for the synagogue. He was too bad for the socially elite scene. But he wasn't too bad for Jesus because Jesus forgave him of his sins. Matthew was as bad as they come. Now, if you think that religion is for good people, then you haven't heard all there is to know about Jesus. He's not Uncle Sam, but he still wants you if you're a sinner, he wants you. And I have news for everybody here today. You are a sinner. Next week, we're going to meet some people that didn't think so. But I'm telling you, you're a sinner. And Jesus calls you to repentance. Well, how do we know that Matthew was changed? Well, he, he, he got up from the table. He followed Jesus. He forsook everything. That's one way that we know it. 
But the other way that we know he was changed is my final observation today, and that is his concern. Verse number 10, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, here's another thing that Matthew doesn't say. Matthew's too humble to tell you all of it. And so Luke tells us about it in Luke 5, verse 29. And Levi, that's Matthew again, made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. So Matthew is too humble to say, you know what I did after I got saved? I invited Jesus to come over to my house. And I fixed a meal for Jesus. And I had him come in, and I brought all these people to come and meet Jesus. Matthew doesn't tell us that, but that's what he did. And we notice something about this verse. If Matthew had friends, who are they? Who are Matthew's friends? He can't go to the synagogues. They won't have him. He can't go to the normal social outlets. They won't have anything to do with him. He can't go to the marketplaces and enlist people to come to his house. They won't have anything to do with him. So who came? Who would come into Matthew's house? Well, he invites the only people that would come, the only ones that would associate with him. Who are his friends? Other tax collectors. These, these people are thieves, and thieves are thick with one another. They don't have any other friends. Now, you wonder why that Jesus hung out with tax collectors? It's because when one of them got saved, they wanted all their other friends to get saved too. And so they brought other tax collectors to come and hear Jesus. Now, they're all a bunch of sinners. And sinners that get saved get changed. And what they want is for other sinners to be forgiven of their sins and to be saved too. Did you know that's a characteristic of saved sinners? The message is too good for us to keep to ourselves. And so we must tell somebody about it. Tell some people that are just like you. Now, you notice Matthew's, Matthew's way of doing this? He had a dinner party. And he invited all of his friends to come over for food. And then he hit them with the gospel. You know, Baptists have been doing that for a long time, haven't we? We're still using food to get people in so we can preach to them. Well, this is what salvation does. It always develops a concern for others. And we really need to get that picture. Matthew, Matthew told the people that he worked with. And how are we going to get our church to grow? We have to tell people that we work with. We've got to go tell some people, are you really concerned about other people? And, you know, most of us are too quiet about our faith. We've got that stealth Christianity thing going on, and we're not going to tell anybody about it. But if we want to see growth in our church, if we want to see people one to Christ, we have to go tell somebody. And this is what happened all the time in the New Testament. When people met Jesus and they got saved, they followed him, and the concern followed as well. That's always a development. So Matthew gave up everything else, and from then on, his whole point in life was getting other people to Jesus. He wanted other people to receive forgiveness, and he had that concern. Now, I'm going to stop with that for this week, and we're going to pick it up next week, and we're going to talk about the, the other guys, the good guys that are also in this passage. Now, perhaps you, you still may not understand this very well. Jesus stated his mission, I came to call sinners to repentance. You say, well, what's that? What does that mean, to repent of your sins? Well, it means to turn from them. It means to give up sin. It's to say that you're sorry for sin and that you want to be forgiven. Repentance is a grace that's granted by God, but it's also always connected 
with another grace, and that's faith. You'll always find repentance is coupled with faith. And so when Jesus says, I came to call sinners to repentance, he also means this, I came to call you to have faith in me that I can forgive you of your sins. And that's all that he asks in the gospel message. That's all that God asks. Do you believe that Jesus can forgive you of your sins? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? And when you repent and believe, forgiveness comes to your soul. Sins are forgiven, and now you're one of God's children. So here we have Matthew, who is an outcast of men. He's burdened down with all of his terrible sins. But there's not one sin that Matthew committed that was too big for God to forgive. And so he repented, he believed, and he followed. And he was no longer an outcast with God. The burden of his sin had been lifted, and they were forgiven. Now, please know this today, that Jesus did come to save sinners, and he's still saving sinners today. And we don't want anybody to go out of this place still carrying your weight of sin with you. You can leave it all right now. Leave it all right at the foot of the cross when you trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and believe that he died to save your soul. You can go out of this place today without another burden upon you because Jesus forgives people of sin. And that's the message that Matthew wants you to get. He forgave the worst sinner of all. And so I know that he can forgive you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. I ask you, Lord, that you'd speak to some heart this morning that is without you as Savior, that they might understand that sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ, that they might repent of all of their sins and put their faith in you. And Lord, then have that that wonderful thought of all their burdens being removed and they're on their way to heaven. Lord, I pray you'd speak to some soul today. And then for others, for Christians here, help us, Lord, to be the kind of people that will share our faith with others. May we get busy telling people at work, telling friends, telling family, telling everybody that Jesus Christ forgives sins. And if our hearts have been really changed, we know this is always the inevitable outcome. We want to see others changed as well. Speak to us today, Lord. Help us as we sing this that some heart might dedicate itself to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.